We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Fellas, listen up. All you ever ask for is an opportunity. You got it today. Where else would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. Be aggressive. You have literally nothing to lose. You're a borderline football team. If I don't keep laughing about this stuff, my teeth are going to turn around and devour my brain. The Bills make me want to... August. I said 12 and 4 from the get-go, and it turns out I insulted them, and they were 13 and 3. It's all great. Hoo, ha, Buffalo, everything. Like, don't lose by 40 to the Chiefs. Like, the Chiefs are unbelievable, but uh, I think there'll be a sequel coming this week, Buffalo. And, uh, I love you. Why don't you bring that up, Okay, There does seem to be a symmetry there, and the Eagles team that won the Super Bowl, no one believed in them, and uh, I think a lot of people think the Bills are going to get housed this weekend. I went among them. Everybody to another edition of the Rock Pile Report Podcast. I am your host, Bill Season Ticket Holder Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Kruger, and that was Kyle Brandt of Good Morning Football from NFL Network discussing his honorary status as a member of Bill's Mafia and his outlier of a view on Sunday's game. Chris, it's almost here. It's almost here. Do you ever I don't think, want to run through a wall. Did you ever think we would get here? No! Bills in the <laughs> AFC title game. Good lord! I seriously, like a cartoon, like like a version of the Kool-Aid Man, I want to jump through this shitty apartment wall of yours. I'm sure it's paper thin. It could be. <laughs> but then Brian will have you over to redo it. Hey, listen, it wouldn't be the first time I put a hole in a man's wall. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Through and through. Too bad. I'm, I'm sad I wasn't Mike there Collins, for that one. if you're one. out there, we love you, buddy. And I'm sorry about your base. <laughs> oh, we are getting closer and closer to this weekend's what feels like a matchup with destiny against the Kansas City Chiefs. We have a great show lined up for you. We're going to host Ryan Tracy from Locked on Chiefs to kind of lightning round style pick his brain about this upcoming matchup. We have all the X's and O's to talk about, but first, we're going to dust off a segment we really haven't gotten to run all year this year, but I feel like it's apropos tonight, and that's the Bills News Update. (music) Offensive coordinator Brian Dable will not be taking a head coaching position this offseason. That's amazing. (sighs) Over the latter portion of the 2020 NFL season, 
Our offensive coordinator was increasingly discussed as one of the hottest candidates to land a head coaching position in this season's hiring cycle. I mean, Chris, there was an incredible number of teams. This might be the most I can remember in recent history, all firing their head coaches in the same offseason. What, uh, the Chargers? Jacksonville? Philly? Philly was late to the party. Houston got started early. Yeah. And they're the last one. And they're still the last. They're still playing musical chairs while everyone else found a dance. It's, it's a joke. Detroit, the Jets, which is hysterical in and of itself. I'm sure Scott Mason is somewhere doing backflips. And Atlanta. And yet yesterday evening, news broke on something we all figured was a foregone conclusion after the L.A. Chargers. The team that I think, Dable, would you agree with me, had probably the most connection to and was probably the most philosophical fit for, decided yeah. to hire somebody else. Yeah, I thought that Chargers job was the number one on the market. I mean, you get a coach in there. Oh, hey, yeah, you're going to be working with Justin Herbert. Yeah. And in- Sign me up. And instead, they hire Rams defensive coordinator. Uh, Brandon Staley. Brandon Staley. And Dable announced shortly after that he would not be leaving the Bills next season. I want to parse through this just so people can understand, because I think I've made sense of it. First of all, since 2017, there has been this massive wave of offensive-minded head coaches hired, and the results have been pretty mixed. I mean, for every Kyle Shanahan who at least made it to a Super Bowl, there's been three guys like Anthony Lynn and Matt Nagy, who <laughs> one of them's been fired, one of them probably should be fired. Cliff Kingsbury. Cliff Kingsbury set the league on fire. He got hired by the Arizona Cardinals, and they allowed him to take one year removed from drafting a top 10 quarterback. They allowed him to take another quarterback with the first overall pick. That's how much clout that man held. And yet, he's still out here trying to scratch out a playoff appearance. That's not good. Zach Taylor, one of uh, another disciple of the uh, Sean McVay protege tree, is still scratching to field a competent NFL team. And even Doug Peterson. Doug Peterson, winner of a Super Bowl two years ago, fired after he lost control of the team in the locker room. I feel like those mixed results from these offensive-minded guys might have been kind of this a driver for what seems like a return to balance with some surprising hirings of defensive coordinators before some of the offensive guys like Eric Bieniemy, Brian Dable, Arthur Smith. Before any of those guys got hired, you saw defensive guys being hired, right? Yeah. I think that speaks to kind of a backlash of that initial offensive coordinator hiring wave we saw a few years ago. Yeah, with McVay. I think he started it. And every team thought, hey, if I can just replicate that. And it turns out you can't. That's how Zach Taylor ended up in Cincinnati, and that's how Matt LaFleur ended up in Green Bay. They both came from McVay's staff. And thank God that uh, LaFleur has the arguably the best quarterback in football. Yep. Also, you might look at it as Dable being a victim of his own success. I mean, teams are looking to start their offseason prep now. You're going to start building. A, you, you can't even focus on the draft until you have a staff in place, until you know what your philosophy as a team is going to be. By being in the Super Bowl conversation at this point, Brian Dable may have muddied the water on that. Didn't Cincinnati do that when they hired Zach Taylor? I think wasn't, they might have. Wasn't that off of the Rams being in the Super Bowl? I think, so they had to wait the whole postseason before they could announce that hire? Yeah. 
I think that's a part of that. Yeah. I think some teams don't. Uh, d- yeah. I think some teams don't enjoy that. Yeah. If I'm wrong, call in and let us know. <laughs> also, what about the concept that he might just not interview well, or at least didn't view well for what each of these teams were looking for? Look at perfect example: the New York Jets. They need a quarterback developer is they're no longer going to be drafting what looks like a surefire blue-chip NFL prospect in Trevor Lawrence. And yet, at the same time, they also needed a competent and organized, kind of a CEO-esque leader. Like, look at it. They, they needed a Sean McDermott. A guy who could pull everybody together after, what, five, six, seven years of that team just being horribly fractured? You needed someone who could come in and galvanize the entire team, bring them all under the same tent, and get them in line. If Dable didn't make that big of an impression on the the brass over for the New York Jets, and that he's, quote-unquote, different in a dynamic way from their previous head coach, much like, think about it, if it wasn't, for as much as we all hate Rex Ryan as Bills fans, if it wasn't for Rex Ryan, we wouldn't have Sean McDermott. Rex Ryan taught our owners what it was to have a guy who's all talk and no substance. And instead, they went polar opposite when they met because they were going to give that job to Anthony Lynn. And then they met Sean McDermott and said, whoa, 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 this guy, paradigm shifter, because he talks. He, he's no talk. He's all substance. We like that. We as fans and as podcasters hate it. Yeah. But he's made the difference in this franchise. So if Dable didn't make that big of an impression on the brass over there, it makes sense that someone who did would get more attention for that job. And I mean, as we discussed with uh, Play Like a Jets, Scott Mason, a recurring guest over on our uh, AFC East Roundup podcast, there's been this national narrative existing since week one that Brian Dable was a key figure in Josh Allen's resurgence. And I think that that's one of the reasons. I've long suspected that that's probably the thing that got him so much run. Everyone said, well, he's a hot name because they're watching an offensive coordinator who grew a quarterback. That couldn't be any farther from the truth. That's not the reality of it. I mean, that's failing to recognize that Allen's most meaningful work, the reworking and polishing of his mechanics... Uh, which in turn promoted accuracy, his improvement of his mental processing, his pocket presence, his becoming more understanding of the game from a quarterback perspective and just knowing what it is to have a feel for, hey, my offensive linemen are going to sell out for me so I can take an extra half a second before I start to run. That was all done with other people. Alan essentially, (laughs) Chris... He went into the 2020 offseason and took what was Andy Dwyer's toolbox in Parks and Rec. You know, the one that contained a hammer, half a pretzel, a baseball card, half of a scissor, and a flashlight filled with jelly beans. He came out of that from 2019 into 2020. He pulled around Swanson. Returning, he fleshed out his toolbox and returned to field this season with a full complement of tools for Brian Dable to work with. And in that way, Dable was able to open up all of his play calls and route concepts that he had in his back pocket, which was far more impressive than anything we saw last season, correct? Yep. Once teams got a feel for that, and maybe probably got a feel that he didn't have as many pre-established coordinator relationships. I mean, I saw a lot of places where people were like, well, he's going to bring along the quarterback's coach too, so that'll help the grooming process. 
completely ignoring the fact that Ken Dorsey was a Carolina guy. Where does his loyalty actually lie? If he left, if Dable were to leave and the offensive coordinator job were to be open, remember week 17 when they let Ken Dorsey call plays? I wouldn't expect Ken Dorsey to leave if Brian Dable left for a head coaching job. No, I no wouldn't one should. expect Ken Dorsey to be the OC. I mean, it's just, I can imagine that with all of these things, interest on Dable cooled pretty quickly. I, I think the funniest part of this whole saga is him announcing on Monday, apropos of almost nothing, that he wasn't interested in the Eagles job. <laughs> yeah, who would want How that? How shitty is that for Philadelphia? I mean, a dude who wants a head coaching job badly enough to interview with multiple teams doesn't want your job. That's, I, I thought about it in my head. It's like the movie Office Space. The neighbor, Lawrence, when Peter's sitting on his couch and he knocks on the wall and goes, Hey, Lawrence, you there? You want to come over and hang out? He goes, Nah, thanks, man. I don't want you effing up my life, too. <laughs> I don't want you effing up my life. Nah, you're good over there. Oh, doesn't it have that same feel to it? Yeah, I think Houston and Philadelphia... The two remaining jobs available, they're awful jobs. I think Philadelphia's in cap hell, and then in Houston, you got a front office problem. Houston, nobody knows what's going on. It's anarchy. Some guy named Easterby, who's, from what I know, a glorified priest, is running around pulling strings like this is, the, like this is Game of Thrones. He's like, like their version of Russ Brandon. Kind of, except he's much balder. I think much less flirtatious and much more just obsessed with power. I mean, he talked the owner into hiring a guy that he knew wouldn't fire him. If that's not a self-preservation move, hey, kudos to him. He pulled it off. Well, yeah, they what, spent a bunch of money on the, that uh, hiring firm. And then, hired some- and then hired somebody they said wasn't good for the job. <laughs> and that's why when I hear Leslie Frazier tied to that job, like, oh, he's interviewing. It's like, Leslie, no! Don't do it! Don't do it, Leslie. No. It's like whatever, like four candidates you hear are up for the Houston job. Just pick which one is the least likely, and they'll probably get the job because everyone above him will have turned it turned it down. Your thoughts on Dable coming back for another go round and potentially even building off of what they've established this year? It's amazing. It's like getting Ted Marchabrota back. <laughs> Ted Marchabrota. Yeah, before he left to go to the Colts. I hate you. I hate I, you. I hate you. Got a reference to early nineties. Ted but, Yeah, I, it's great that, that makes Dave, me angry. It's, <laughs> it's good that Dable's coming back. It's another like think about it. Josh Allen's draft class and his ability to be able to work with the same coaches year in and year out. I think the only one that's even close is Lamar Jackson. Darnold's always had different coaches. And they fired uh, with Todd Bowles, and then they brought in Gase. New yeah, Baker Mayfield has had no consistency. Yeah, up until right. the, up until this year, I think it's just I think it's just good for Josh Allen, and I Josh Allen might be better next year than he is this year. I hate saying, but I agree with you. I mean, I've had some unkind things to say about Brian Dable over the years. I've heard it. I mean, I've attacked everything from his play calling to, to his, his feet. To the, <laughs> I said some not so nice things about his weight, his baldness, his rocking back and forth in his chair, to the fact that he cost me a steak dinner. And almost everything in between. Some of which is too insulting or profane for me to repeat here on the podcast. But ultimately, what I like 
is that I've seen growth from this team every single year that he's been here working with this quarterback. And to your point, I'm a big fan of continuity for a franchise that finally has a taste of it for what feels like him forever. We've never... What Dick Duran was the last coach to get an extension, and he got fired six months into it? Yeah, he got fired during that season. Okay. When's the last time a GM got extended around here? Oh. <laughs> John Butler. We have continuity, Chris. Tom Donahoe. And it's time. It's time that we embrace the fact that we have continuity. And now it's going to stay here on the offensive side of the ball for the first time in 20-plus years. So the longer we can hang on to it, the better. And I'll drink to that. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And so with that, Chris, we sit down and we crack fresh beverages as we prepare to talk about the AFC Conference Championship, the title game, Buffalo Bills versus the Kansas City Chiefs. Can't believe we're here. Time, 6.40 p.m. Eastern Standard, the place Arrowhead Stadium in Kansas City. On the call is Jim Nance and Tony Romo. Eighteen. CBS Broadcast A-Team up top. Yep. Except there's no Mr. T. Made it to the top and now we're here. The crew is Bill Vinovich, which I find interesting because he's a ref that I like because while he's famous for that blown P.I. call in that Rams-Saints game, do you remember the one that uh, spurred a lawsuit from the city of Los a- city of New Orleans? The one that was broken up by former Buffalo Bill, Nickel Roby Coleman? Yeah. I've heard of it. He's that he's the ref who blew that call, but he's also the guy who will let defenses play. Something that I think we could benefit from, considering all of the weapons Kansas City has at its disposal. If they let our defense get away with some shenanigans, hey, I won't be mad at it. Well, plus it'll help if CBS talks about us. That's your oh superstition no. of. But has it not been correct? It's, In every primetime game where the broadcast is skewed towards one football team, where they show more graphics about the one team and they talk about their homes, their backstory, and whatever, that team seems to win that game. I'm not saying it's fixed. I'm just saying, for superstition's sake, that team tends to win more often. So we got to hope that this is a pro Bills broadcast. And the spread. Right now, the Chiefs are going off at anywhere from plus two and a half. To, I mean, minus two and a half to minus three. The Bills plus three. Is that a line that you might jump on? Maybe. We'll see come 
Sunday if I feel it. Oh, or if you send me a text message, you know, throughout the week where I look at it and I read the text and I go, oh, fuck this guy. And then I <laughs> go down to the casino and lay a hundred down on the bills to win on the money line. Oh, I hate you. The injuries to watch in this one. The bills really are relatively healthy. When is the last time? Chris, this is absurd enough that we're even in the title game. Our team is probably the healthiest it's been in years. Since week six. I mean, defensive end Daryl Johnson. He's on the list. He missed last week's game. As we talked about last uh, last night in our podcast with uh, Bruce Nolan, almost to the Bills' advantage, he missed that football game. And so now you're looking at him being potentially the only injured player. And then you've got some non-injuries that are still interesting. Wide receiver Kenny Stills and running back Devonta Freeman. Two veteran guys that we signed to this team. I mean, if you had to think about the both of them, who's the most interesting out of the two, to you anyway? Uh, it would probably be Devonta Freeman, because he would look to get the most play, because we have Devin Singletary, and then three down back, TJ Yeldon, <laughs> and then, what, no one? And Singletary's only good for, like, what, 10 to 12 carries a game? We're not a bell cow style of running back offense. But, so in a game where you almost feel like your opponent, given the style and the substance of their defense, is going to have to sell out to stop the pass, this is a game you'd like to be able to pound the rock, right? Allegedly. I don't, I don't, I don't know the analytics of it. That much. I'm just. Well, here's what I'll my, say. My eye test is like, we don't have a whole bunch of running backs. Well, here's what I think about TJ Yeldon. For as much as they say he's three down back TJ Yeldon, he was active for eight snaps and two carries well after the contest had already been decided. That's how highly they think of him. D- Devonta Freeman's going to be worth watching this week. I'm just going to throw it out there. For Kansas City, the list is long. First of all, wide receiver Sammy Watkins, questionable with a calf injury. Stop me if you've heard this. Sammy Watkins is hurt. <laughs> he missed their win over uh, Cleveland, and he's going to be a story to watch because the fewer weapons Casey has, the better. Running back Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. He returned to practice for one single day last week, then sat out the final two before being deactivated at the last minute against the Browns. His practice this week is going to bear monitoring, but with as well as Williams has played in his place, even if active, you could see a true three-down back platoon instead of just the Clyde Edwards-Hilaire show. Cornerback Brashad Breland with a concussion. He's one of their boundary corners on what's ultimately a less-than-stellar defensive unit. And as we're going to discuss here with our guest in a minute, to not have his services available would test the depth of a secondary that's already sort of shallow on the boundary and is going to have its hands full. I mean, they have to figure out how to stop what is a very multifaceted unit with a group that Chris hasn't been that impressive statistically. I mean, rookie Legereus Sneed, who didn't even play the last time they played the Bills, is making a name for himself lately. But so was Noah Alphabet Soup from Miami. Remember when everyone thought Noah Igbenagany? I'm going to say this again. Igbenagany? Igbenagany? I I don't know. But everyone. Igba Mahogany. Mahogany? Yeah, Igba Mahogany. I don't know. Or Ron Swanson. Yeah, I'm not Ron Swanson. uh, (laughs) Anchorman. 
Yeah, Ron Burgundy. <laughs> Ron Burgundy. Yeah, Noah Alphabet Soup is fine. No, he's fine. He's great until he gets put one-on-one with uh, Stefan Diggs and just gets beat up to the tune of like 100-plus yards. Everyone's fine, right? Everyone's fine until you put him in the ring with Mike Tyson. And then you find out they're not actually that tough. That's what happens to these rookies. Do not kid yourselves in thinking that they're up to snuff hanging out with uh, veteran wide receivers. And then you've got quarterback Patrick Mahomes. Concussion and toe issue. Now, Jay Glazer likened what happened to Mahomes on Sunday to what happens to MMA fighters when they get choked out. Just given the way his concussion occurred, the helmet doesn't actually hit the ground. His head kind of gets raked all the way around as he's getting drug over, and he equated it to what happens when you get put in a rear naked choke and you go unconscious. It, it doesn't take you long to regain your senses, but it's the NFL. Yeah. I mean, when multi-billion dollar lawsuits will change the way that you do business. And so as such, Patrick Mahomes is par- caught up in that now. I think it's almost more concerning about the foot injury that he sustained. Because as you watch that Kansas City game, he couldn't really plant and deliver. He was overthrowing, underthrowing. His passes were erratic. The severity of that is going to be worth watching. Now, Andy Reid's already tried to throw cold water on it, but Chris, isn't that a coach's job? Yeah. Take bullets for your guys so he doesn't have to answer. I mean, it, that really is going to be the thing for me that dictates, to me, the foot injury. I mean, he's going to play. We're going to see him. I'm confident in that enough to put my stamp on it now. It's just a matter of who is he when he gets here. (sighs) Philosophically, Chris, we talk about this AFC championship game and whether or not it's a resetting of the AFC table. Football's better when we have rivalries. Yeah. Not media manufactured ones like people try and promote between quarterbacks because they were in the same draft class. Or coaches because they came from the same coaching tree. I'm talking about real rivalries. Star talent, emotion, something significant at stake. It gives each of them that kind of any given Sunday vibe. Simply put, must-watch TV type of rivalries. Football is always better through that. And I mean, there's been a couple good ones in my lifetime. First of all, Jim Kelly and Dan Marino. Every time they got together, they put on a show, right? Yes. Pittsburgh versus Baltimore in the early to mid-2000s. That's a, that's a good one. But this could be a, one of the better ones that's a conference rivalry. Because how many times, you know, over the last, I'd say, 12 to 15 years, did you see a bunch of New England and Indianapolis or New England and Pittsburgh games? Because they both finished in first within their division. Well, like, this is something that we could start, you know, this season because we played him in week six. We're going to play him on Sunday. We're going to play him again next year because we both won our divisions. So this could be something that we see year in and year out from finishing in first in the division. And that right there, the most recent quarterback rivalry worth a damn in the NFL. That's easy. Manning and Brady. Manning and Brady played each other 17 times in their careers. Now, obviously, Brady got the better of the deal, right? When you look down the tail of the tape, what was it, 11 to 6? Yep. I mean, and but when you look at it, Manning had the better passing performances. Brady had the better team around him. 
touchdown passes were equal. Interceptions were fairly close. Actually, Tom Brady threw fewer because he wasn't asked to throw as much. Completion percentages were through the roof. Passer ratings were above 85, which means every quarterback, even when the defense threw the house at him, had a good game. And they tied in the most important stat, rushing touchdowns. Ultimately, when you look at Brady and Manning, they were the perfect foil for one another. You had on one hand the cold, calculated, surgical winner. And this charming southern guy who would come out with his big forehead and try to sell you car insurance or... Yeah. (laughs) Not at the time. But he had this likability. And between the two of them, it was poetic. And they had this arm, they had their teams arm wrestling over success in the AFC every single year. I mean, those games dictated the outcome of the division. The outcome of indiv- outcome of divisions, outcome of conference races. They saw each other in the playoffs. And those games had gravitas. Think about this, Chris. Until last year, you had to go all the way back to 2013 to find a Super Bowl where one of Manning and Brady wasn't representing the AFC East. I mean, AFC East, Jesus Christ, the AFC. They held down the fort for almost a decade. That's what made that rivalry so special. They each played for well-run organizations with great coaches, great rosters, and had some of their best games against each other's teams. And the outcome of those games would dictate who got to go on a title run. Yet when Manning rode off into the sunset after his second championship, Brady was kind of left alone as the AFC's unquestionable best quarterback. And playing on the most talented and well-coached team, the next three years in a row saw the New England Patriots make the Super Bowl. That was awful. Right? I mean, that was was pretty terrible. They won two of them. Yeah. That was tough to watch. Big Ben and Phillip Rivers tried... And yet, neither one of them was able to beat Brady in the postseason. Not a single, never. No postseason wins for either one of those quarterbacks. And you'd argue they're both talented. Pittsburgh didn't beat New England? Never. Never in the playoffs. Not even on their Super Bowl runs? I'll say this. I don't recall one. If there was one, then I'm missing it. But I'll say this. I know I watched... I watched rooting against New England... And I watched the Pittsburgh Steelers just crash on the rocks. I remember the year that the Steelers made it to the Super Bowl in 2008, I want to say, was the year that they lost in the wild card to the Ravens. Okay. Well, if Big Ben beat Brady in the playoffs, call in. Let us know. Tweet us at Rockpile Report on Twitter. Let me know when it happened, but I don't recall it. And I know for a fact Phillip Rivers never got it done. He didn't get a lot of things done. <laughs> like pulling out. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It was low-hanging fruit. I had to swing at it. They both tried and failed to dethrone Tom Brady. No one could do it. And the dude just squatted on the conference until Patrick Mahomes came along, leading to a pair of AFC title games that will go down in history as two of the most entertaining ever. Now Brady's gone. Mahomes has assumed the mantle of the gold standard of NFL quarterback, right? Yeah, he's the best. Someone has to step up and challenge him. Someone has to do it to make this conference fun again. The same way Manning and Brady had almost 20 years ago. 10 years ago, we'll call it. 
We're all here because we think Josh Allen can be that quarterback. But it's like we're always saying, if you want a real rivalry, you need to win. You need to get a couple wins, right? There yeah. has to be a tit for tat. Yeah, it can't be like Brady and the Bills over the last 20 years. <sighs> no. It can't be that every time. And who knows? Maybe that is our fortune. It's just to roll in to be the Marino to his Jim Kelly. I don't know. Yeah, I wouldn't like that. I hope not. <laughs> but I'd like to believe that this could be a real rivalry. For me, that's one of the biggest storylines in all of this. Getting an answer to the question of whether or not we're watching a rivalry in bloom. Can McDermott and this cast of elite playmakers and underrated defensive talent continue to rally around number 17? And with a win, start a Brady-Manning-esque rivalry in the AFC. Or... Is this going to end like everybody else's attempts to dethrone elite talent that we've seen over the last decade? (sighs) We find out in less than 96 hours. And so that brings us to tonight's guest. First time on the Rock Bell Report, Mr. Ryan Tracy, host of Locked On Chiefs. How are you doing tonight, sir? I'm hanging in. How are you all? (laughs) We're doing good. We're ecstatic. The Buffalo (laughs) Bills are back in a position they haven't been since I was a child. I mean, I'm pretty sure I could tie my own shoes at that point, but I don't think I did it well. And now here we are. We're talking about them playing for the AFC title against, I guess, what would be a Chiefs team where this is kind of almost a foregone conclusion, I think, that you guys were going to be in this position, correct? Yeah, it was a hope. I don't think that uh, too many Chiefs fans want to get too arrogant about it. Um, It was definitely the goal, though. From nearly the the moment they had the parade in Kansas City, they were talking about running it back, and that's it's been a focus and a lot of preparation for this team. So, in the interest of just kind of hitting these things one at a time, first of all, injury Q&A. I know for a fact that Patrick Mahomes, I I, I don't know, but I feel it in my bones. We're superstitious people. We talk about it all the time. He's going to play. I'm not worried about him. What I'm what I'm curious about is the other injuries. Which of those do you think, beyond Patrick Mahomes, has the best opportunity to play a role in this game against Buffalo? I think I do expect to see Clyde Edwards-Alaire get back. Um, they, they were cautious with him last week. He did practice a bit, and then they kind of held him back just to give him a little more rest. I think you might see him. Cautiously, I'm hopeful that Bashad Breeland is in a very similar situation to Patrick and that he's progressing through the protocol as well. Uh, Bashad's going to be a guy that they need to lean on. No, and that's we talked about in the run up to this, uh, having you on. It's he's important to what you guys want to do, especially with the weapons that the Bills for once have to throw at an opposing team. And I think that starts where if we had a question to pick your brain about an offense, the talk around the league is that when the Bills finish the regular season as one of the hottest teams in football. The Chiefs, according to whatever talking head you choose, were quote-unquote off. At least as off as a team that was on a 10-game what? 10-game winning streak? Yeah. With their starters in? As, as off as you could possibly be. But it is noticeable, whereas at the beginning of 2020, the Chiefs were picking right up where they left off at the end of 2019. Essentially just boat racing every single competitor who stepped to the plate. Down the stretch, the games were all one-score affairs, some of which I think got a little bit too close for comfort for a lot of Chiefs fans. I mean, that near loss to Atlanta, which mm-hmm. I still don't know how that guy dropped that interception in the end zone. Um, the, clo- the close game with Miami, where there's four turnovers. And I mean, obviously, you're, you guys had the better quarterback. You guys had the more explosive offense, so it yielded a victory. But that was a close one. That didn't have to be. 
did, did you did you see or have you seen any of that trickling over into the postseason? Essentially, coming off two weeks of rest. You know, I didn't see that too much. Uh, one thing that they've been pretty good about, and I, and I will tell you that the last quarter of the season for the, this particular Chiefs team was not like it was for the 2019 team. Uh, they were pretty wear down. We're talking about only having two of your your day one starters are still on that offensive line. They've been replaced and replaced again, and quite frankly, they, they were pretty worn down there in the last quarter of the season. I think what you saw against the Cleveland Browns is that the physical rest definitely helped them. I think, honestly, the mental rest might have helped them a little bit, too, because there has been a lot of evolution of this offense this season, not just trickling down from Andy through enemy to Patrick, but back up the tree as well. And Patrick's been given a lot more license to come up with things. I think we may see here before the end of the season as well. And it's one of those things that I think it all culminated in teams learning um, to play Patrick the right way by playing deep defense, by playing six and seven in coverage and not making the mistake that some teams have, have opted to do in blitzing him that doesn't pay off for anyone. And I think at the end of the day, there's a patience factor there. Patrick wants to go downtown. He feels and thinks like Favre. He he reads deep to shallow because there's a shot on every play in his mind. And I think that was part of a frustration factor. And I think particularly against the Atlanta Falcons, he chose to kind of push and look for those downfield options rather than taking the, what was available there in the intermediate area. Well, and see, that could become a problem given the talent that we have on safety. I, I I'm very interested to see what you guys roll out in terms of a game plan. Have you given any thought to how aggressive you might see this Chiefs offense? I have. And what we're hearing with Patrick possibly practicing tomorrow, I think when we know how much, that will definitely be one of the prime things that really adjusts how aggressive they could be. And I think they'll probably try to lull everybody to sleep a little bit. Um, I know that they have a healthy respect for Trey White. I, I know that they feel like there's still some options, especially when you can get them into zone looks. They'll always be the pre-motion determinations and those kind of things. But I think you will see them look at some of the intermediate crossers, not looking to tape deep shots right away. And I think based on the success from the first matchup, you may see them try to run the ball a little bit more. That <laughs> See, you know, we have Matt Milano, who we told all of our listeners last week. Matt Milano, our rush yards against, were 30 yards better, but in terms of points, we're 11 points better per game when Matt Milano's on the field versus when he's not. And our team is undefeated. So that, to me, is a huge... I mean, Brett Coleman, analyst from the film room, said... He goes, Matt Milano, if he plays for you guys against the Chiefs when we played earlier this season, he goes, I give you guys a fighting chance. If he doesn't play, it's a four-point victory for the Chiefs. And that's essentially how the game went. It's going to be really interesting to see whether our guys can hang with that. Now, on the defensive side of the ball, we all know how the Chiefs' defense is constructed. You've got pass rushers. You've got some opportunistic safeties. And you've got some linebackers who are, f- they're, they're not fast, they're not fluid in coverage, but they're physical and they you can get by. I mean, Hitchens is very good. I like him. At least as a thumper, a guy who can kind of, he'll shut down running lanes. <sighs> Statistically on defense, you guys, the Chiefs have frustrated Chief fans with some play that I'd classify as you guys are opportunistic, but on the whole sort of mediocre in terms of what you what you give up in yardage and points. I mean, obviously you get the final result because your offense is elite, but your defense isn't exactly an elite unit, but you come up with some massive plays, sacks, forced fumbles, interceptions, to offset what is a fair amount of yardage and points yielded. 
you're going up against a team that's playing the number one wide receiver in all of football right now, Stephon Diggs. Every team has been trying to figure out how to stop him for the last month and a half. He goes up against the Ravens and has 106 yards on a terrible day for the Bills offense, and it seems routine. And then you look back over his game log and you realize that the only game he doesn't have 100 yards in since week 13 was the game he only played a single half. How do you envision them trying to gear up and stop Stephon Diggs? You know, I think they'll take a similar approach to what they did uh, the last meeting. Now, granted, that was a weather game, so you got to throw some of that out the window. But what they've done is be able to adapt. And Steve Spagnuolo is, uh, while Chiefs fans may be frustrated, Steve Spagnuolo is not. He's willing to give up the run. He's willing to get, uh, not run over, but he's he's going to give you that option. Now, against this team, obviously, everything's going to flow through Diggs, but he's got a guy in L.J. Sneed who, if I – if I remember correctly, didn't play the first time. No, uh, no, he did not. He's a, a, an incredible rookie, but he's a good player already. It's not just that he happens to be a good rookie. And so you're going to see him peppered in there. Again, the Breland thing comes back to whether you see a one-on-one matchup and whether you see Diggs on Snead a lot, or if Bashad's out there, then you're going to see a, a bunch of different matchups. Um, with Snee probably being in the slot more often, which then comes back to how healthy is Beasley and what's that matchup going to look like. I think that what they're going to do is try to do as much disguise as they can. You saw Tyron Matthew have some success, like he usually does, hiding in the middle of the field. Oh, time. Jesus, that pick. That pick was one of the grossest interceptions I've watched because as a Bills fan, I'm obviously rooting for, <laughs> obviously rooting against you guys. And I watch him circle around the wide receiver. The target never knew he was there. The player trying to catch the ball, it took him a a full second, a one Mississippi, to figure out what even happened to the football. It was incredible to watch. Yeah, and and he's he's crafty. And now there'll be Chiefs fans in particular, but there'll be people around the league who tell you, oh, he doesn't like contact as as much. He will he will forego hitting somebody that's bigger than him when he needs to because the man is small. And he makes up for it in his open field presence. And that's something that if they do have to go without Breland, you're gonna see him get shifted into a different role. And that's gonna be a problem because when he's able to play the robber and roam around, switch up his assignments based on what he sees, because he does have a lot of variability that C. Spagnuolo allows him license to do what he does. That kind of locks things down. It puts more stress on Juan Thornhill and Dan Sorensen, who are going to be at the safety spots. And I think that's when it gets pretty dangerous for the Chiefs against Diggs especially, but also against some of the other players, especially guys that have speed like Brown uh, and quickness like Beasley. So when we talk about the most dangerous part of your secondary, one of the things that we like to do is we love to work the middle of the field. We've got Cole Beasley. We've got Gabe Davis. Gabe Davis is a mismatch problem for slot corners, as the Ravens almost found out if he could have caught the ball, in that Marlon Marlon Humphreys, inside on him in coverage, couldn't box him out for what should have been a touchdown catch. Cole Beasley, if he's ready to go and he's healthy, he's a mismatch for any linebacker. There's really not a lot of cornerbacks who can stick with his shiftiness. And even when he's not 100%, he still finds he has this natural feel for the soft spots and zones. You guys are going to have your handful handful on the outside with John Brown and Stephon Diggs, who bring solid catching, solid route running, and speed. The guys in the middle is where we do a lot of our damage. How well equipped between your linebackers and safeties do you think that this Chiefs defense is to contend with that? 
in this particular season, the less linebackers, the better. If we're talking about coverage. You're not going to get those guys that are able to feel a route coming. But what you will see is they're going to play a lot of dime. They're going to give you some slot drops high. They're going to do a lot of inversion and give, especially when Allen thinks he knows what he's coming based on what they've seen on film, they're going to give him something else in actuality. And that's going to open up some lanes where if it's not the quick hitters, if it's if the ball's out in 2.2, they're going to take their lumps and try to gang up and tackle and be okay. If they try to push beyond that, if you're looking at skinny posts, if you're looking at those deep overs, they're going to give you a look that's going to catch him by surprise and make themselves an opportunity to get their hands on the pass. It's going to be about execution, and quite frankly, I think the bigger one is not the deep ones, but if you can get those quick hitters to 8, 10 yards, turn them into yak especially, um, without having to get a circus catch from Cole Beasley like we saw the last time these two teams met. Um, (laughs) Let's avoid that. But I think there are going to be opportunities there between the hashes. And so when I look at this, your your safety trio might be, I mean, we talk, we as Bills fans carp that our guys don't get enough love. Michael Hyde and Jordan Poirier are great. But what you guys are bringing to the table in Sorensen, Matthew, and Thornhill, they, they might be the NFL's best trio playing safety right now in the NFL. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I'd say they're up there. I, I will tell you this. I shouted out uh, Poyer a week or two ago because I like what he does. Uh, I wouldn't mind seeing kind of a replacement level for Dan Sorensen come in that <laughs> might have a Poyer on the back of his jersey. But uh, that's a ways <laughs> down the road. Sorry, I, I digress. Um, but, yeah, I mean – they are underheralded. Juan Thornhill plays a deep safety pretty well. He's a very good athlete. He was at the top of the athletic matrix a couple of years ago. Um, and he unfortunately had a knee injury that set him out for the postseason last year. This is his chance. He, this was his first playoff game here against the Browns because he was out the postseason last year. I feel like he's kind of rising up and he's taken a lot of inspiration from Tyron Matthew and what he's able to do. Dan Sorensen had a controversial hit last week, but even if, if you take that out of the equation, um, the hit itself, the fact that he was there, that he made that long run for a guy who isn't known for his speed. He's got this knack about making plays as much as I as I wait for the day that he retires. It's, <laughs> it's something that he he shows up consistently. They are a good group. And I think uh, I'll be very interested to see how they choose to deploy the wide receivers, not necessarily in pairs or or doubles. But if they try to go three by one, I don't know the prevalence of their their lineup, but. The three-by-one is something that I think they might try to get some use out of and try to attack crossers to make those guys go where they're not used to going, Sorensen in particular. So if there was anywhere the Bills' D offense could make hay, something that you as a Chiefs fan that keeps you up at night, what would it be? Well, unfortunately, it'd be power runs right between the tackles, but I know that's not really in the repertoire. So. No. no. Um, I mean, could you counter and hit outside? Sure. Um, the edges are manned opposite Frank Clark by a number of younger guys in Tano Passanio, Mike Dana. Uh, you'll see some rotation in there. Alex Okafor should be the starter. He's had a lot of injury issues, so he will play reps. I don't think he's going to be out there setting the edge. So there might be opportunity there, too. But the linebackers, like you said, are solid. They do have speed in general. Uh, to at least come downhill and try to make that corner manageable. Did the rushing first downs by Baker Mayfield give you any pause in terms of having to play Josh Allen? No, because I was already scared of Josh Allen. (laughs) (laughs) That's the perfect answer. I love it. Yeah, Baker... Bless his heart. He'll he'll get there someday. But uh, I I really do feel of the young generation. We've seen what's happened with Lamar up and down again. I think Josh is ready to be that guy that is chasing and pushing Patrick Mahomes. Um, I had a lot of faith in him coming out, and I see nothing to change my mind. 
So when I look at this and I look at real quick before we let you go, two things. First one, third down conversions against the Browns. They they almost got 50 percent on you guys. The Buffalo Bills are one of the top teams in the league on third down conversions. And we talk about our trends from the regular season. The playoff is a whole different season unto itself. Regular season trends don't carry over. I mean, prime example, look at the Bills run defense against the Ravens. You know, no one thought that we could step up to the plate and we did. So when I watched that trend carry over, I mean, they were, they were eighth in the NFL in the regular season, about 44%, and that held true in this game against your defense. I, I guess what I saw out of it was that Baker took no deep shots on third down. None. Everything he did was short, and yet he still converted a number of those. What, what did you guys do to force them to only look short? And what do you think about him converting with his legs and with short passes that probably should have been cleaned up? This is kind of strange for me to say, given that I cover this particular team, but they're actually able to stop the run. Uh, that sets everything up in that Browns offense. And when they were able to corral Nick Chubb in particular for not gashing them, I think that is kind of bringing the whole offense in. It allowed them to move with some chess pieces around. And at the end of the day, you're going to have shots. Uh, there are mismatches out there to be had, especially with a really tall target like Higgins, who I think is an underrated player all the way around. Uh, but clearly with Jarvis Landry, a mismatch against that rookie that I was talking about earlier, there are some mismatches to be had there. And I think for them, again, it's about the philosophy of every snap is learning for a number of rookies that play, Deshaun Warden, Mike Dana, Snead, obviously. Willie Gay, if they get him back this week, will will be a guy that will be in there in the base, uh, another athletic linebacker with not a lot of experience. So they're okay learning. The only third down that they're super concerned about is third down and goal. So if you're not there, they're going to let you have a little bit, and they're going to bank on somebody making a play or them wearing you down and trying to keep it to a field goal. Chris, it sounds familiar, right? Ben, but don't break. <laughs> I've, heard it, don't I've break. heard it before. Trust your safeties. Real quick, the Chiefs win if and the Bills win if. What is it that you think the Chiefs win if they do? If they have some balance to either protect Mahomes if he's in or support Chad Henney if he's the quarterback, they have to run obviously not as well as they did the last time, but they have to be able to consistently get that. You saw a good spurt from from Darrell Williams last week. If they get Clyde back, that's a nice one-two punch. And then you have Lev Bell waiting in the wings should you need him. That's got to be balanced on the Chiefs' offense and then take your shots when you get it. The Bills win if they don't have Mahomes and they can pressure Chad Henney. That's really the bottom line because they will score. <laughs> I love the confidence, sir. Where can people find your work and what do you have going on over at Locked on Chiefs this week? Lockdown Chiefs is a lot of fun. We'll talk to all the way up to the game. Uh, We are five days a week. And then uh, RGR Football is the YouTube channel where I do film breakdowns and everything Chiefs and NFL. And then Rogue Analytics is how we get ready for the draft with athleticism matrices. So check them all out. They're a lot of fun. Huge thank you to Ryan Tracy, Lockdown Chiefs. He's on Twitter at Ryan Tracy NFL. He had a pretty tight schedule. Glad that he could fit us in. He was phenomenal. When you think about statistically what we have going for us against the Chiefs, we have more than a puncher's chance. But at the same time, no one's giving us any credit, are they? No, I don't. It's early in the weekend, I don't think we're getting a whole lot of love on the national level. Of course not. I mean, when you look at what these teams are, it makes sense that you would defer to what the reigning Super Bowl champion. The reigning, what, league MVP? Mm-hmm. 
you would defer to that guy, right? Yeah. Has he won an MVP yet? Mahomes? Oh, he won a Super Bowl MVP. Super Bowl MVP. But La- last has year he was... won a league? I know last year was Lamar Jackson, which is why beating him this weekend I don't know. is so, so, so much fun. I don't know. I can't. His... Uh... I don't think he won his first year starting when he had like 50 touchdowns. So he's still... May- Call in if you know. <laughs> so he may still be out there hunting for his... And maybe that's the chip on his shoulder that drives him. The same way Josh Allen feels disrespected and it allowed him to catapult himself into the upper echelon of quarterbacking just on will. <sighs> I don't know, but when I when we look at how these teams stack up... <sighs> They're statistically very, I'd say very close. One side clearly has the offensive advantage, even based on what we've seen. And yet one team has a much more consistent defense. A defense that, not for nothing, has looked impressive as of late. This week putting on a show for the ages in a playoff game that pretty much dictated you had to play a very specific style of defense and execute it well. They did that. And they have star players, and they have talent, and so I don't understand why we can't hang in this game and why everyone's so down on the Buffalo Bills. But I have this week's keys to victory. Wow, it's a lot of keys. Bigger the keychain, more powerful the man. It makes sense that they wouldn't understand what I understand, because I have this week's keys to victory. First of all, quarters and cover three defense has got to execute but collapse quickly. In our first matchup with Kansas City earlier this year, the Bills held Tariq and uh, Travis Kelsey had a game, right? But ultimately, together, 10 catches, 85 yards, and two touchdowns. And that was without Matt Milano and a banged-up Trey White. Their coverages in the deep and intermediate portions of the field are going to have to be on point for this game. Kind of like how our front seven was so dialed in against Baltimore. The one thing I'll say is that they have to watch for Travis Kelsey. He's demolished zone defenses this season, manufacturing giant chunks of yardage by sneaking into any soft spot that the defense is willing to give him, knowing that Mahomes is pretty fearless when it comes to, hey, I can throw with accuracy and I've got a gun. I'm going to try to zip it into, sure, maybe he looks like he's double covered. Maybe it looks like he's not even open. I'm going to throw it and give him a chance to make a play because he's an elite talent. We saw that blow up in our faces against Indy. And I'm positive that Andy Reid will be reviewing that game and trying to figure out how he can manufacture tight end success against us the way Indy did. If we can do that and we can mitigate yards after the catch abilities of both those guys, play deep defense but rally to the football well, it's going to help neutralize their quick strike abilities. Something that, like our game against Baltimore, the more plays we can get you to run, the more opportunities our, our playmakers have to make something negative happen. These, these, these drives of the Chiefs that were happening earlier in the season, the three-play scoring drives. Hey, the Chiefs, the Chiefs went 87 yards in three plays. Those aren't happening anymore. Teams have caught on to that. And so it's going to be on the, the pressures on the Chiefs, but our secondary has got to remain on point and yet rally to the ball quickly. Right? Sounds right. I mean, against Cleveland, the Chiefs didn't even attempt to pass of more than 20 air yards. Yet they generated more than nine first downs on throws of four yards or less. 
How scary is that? Yeah. <laughs> you threw the ball four yards. Ah, you got 17. That's That speaks to the level of playmaking talent that the Chiefs have. Our defense is going to have to play zone, but know how to crash to the ball. And when they get there, they're going to have to tackle and play with some physicality. And that's step number two. Even if the first job gets done, none of it means anything if the Bills can't tackle. Against Cleveland, the Chiefs took advantage early and often of broken tackles to generate multiple first downs and chunks of yak. And that's kind of what allowed them to get off to a fast start. I mean, the Browns, they almost got flushed before they even had a chance to be in the game. And Buffalo isn't immune to that. We've had some slow starts here in the playoffs. Chris, our offense hasn't gotten going in most cases until at least a drive or two into the game. I thought you were going to say third quarter (laughs) for stakes, but no. But so when you think about that, this is an offense that if you let them get out of hand, they could run away with the football game and start dictating your pace of play. Yeah, we don't need that. On the season, the Buffalo Bills were fourth in the NFL in missed tackles. And while it did rear its head in Indians against Indy, against Baltimore, our defense was pretty solid in that regard. They're going to need to do that again because the wide receivers and tight ends on this roster are built for one thing, speed and yak. If you let them get rolling out in space, if you miss a tackle on Tariq Hill, kiss your ass goodbye. You just gave up an extra seven yards. Nicole Hardman, not a household name, but if you do not tackle him appropriately, he will tack on an extra three yards to every single play. You die a slow death playing that type of game. And so with that way, you're never going to get him off the field. And God help you if you get into the red zone playing like that. So Sunday night, I'm watching Tampa Bay beat New Orleans. And the one thing that stood out to me that wasn't apparent in either of the other times Tampa got blown out by the Saints, a level of physicality that they put on the skill players from New Orleans. Think about this. Kansas City's most explosive wide receivers, Hill, Hardman, Robinson. Not a single one of them weighs over 200 pounds. They're all relatively small, fast guys. They don't handle jams well. I mean, as long as you can touch Hill, <laughs> you can jam him. He's, he's an animal all unto himself. But the other two, they're not overwhelmingly threatening. They're not big. They're not physical. And even when you talk about it, like in some of his quieter games, you've seen teams like, New- remember when New England really did a number on Travis Kelsey just by having a linebacker knock him off his route early on within that five yards? Yeah. You play a physical brand of football against guys who are built for speed and skill, you can win. Now, Chris, you're a fan of hockey. Yes. You know that that translates, right? Yeah. When you, when you get these small, fast, skill teams, what's the best way to counteract that? Get a big guy on them. And, big guys. Physicality. Yeah. All you got to do is kind of like, if you don't get in their lane completely, just knock them off so they just slow down for a minute. Or, or even if you scare them coming across the middle, even if they have their head down, yeah, look out. <laughs> it's the same in football, folks. If this defense can bring some physicality against these skill players, I mean, you can do it. Sure. Is it a gamble to do too much? 
Of course, because if they get loose, they can burn you. But we do have a secondary adept showing a little bit of toughness to the line of scrimmage. If our team plays a physical brand of football against those guys, kind of like what we saw in the late game on Sunday, the better defense could limit the better offense enough to, to I think, level the playing field. It's like uh, Trey White on Claypool on that Sunday night against <laughs> Pittsburgh where he just he just decked him at the line, and Big Ben was looking at him as his first target and was like, well, he's on the ground. I got to go somewhere else. Is that when he threw the pick? I think it was an almost interception by Levi Wallace on the opposite side of the field. <sighs> the other thing that the Bills are going to have to have is composure. That's right! We can't have anyone freak out out there, okay? We've got to keep our composure! We've got too far! There's too much to lose! We've got to just keep our composure! You can't turn into Will Ferrell in the locker room in old school. You sprung that shit on me. I love it. Oh, I just saw the word composure on the screen, and it's like, I got to p- dump that into the uh, into the tablet there. We are going to find ourselves trailing at some point during this game. Make your peace with it now, Chris. It's going to happen. It's simply a byproduct of playing the most electrifying quarterback. The most electrifying quarterback <laughs> in sports entertainment. Does this mean if they go out down on the field in three plays, you're going to be out in the driveway with a sack of beers, just like the uh, the uh, Aaron Maben pick? You're just going to load up your hoodie. They get, you know, we win the toss. This is what will happen. We win the toss. We defer to the second, and then Mahomes and company just drives down the field four plays, two and a half minutes, and then you just take a bunch of beers out of the fridge, dump them in your hoodie, and go outside and sit in the driveway and talk to a drunk Todd from over the fence. <laughs> I don't even know if Drunk Todd would talk to me at that point. I'd just be, the cheese would be standing alone on that one. We are going to not have the lead in this game. It's going to happen. And when it does, this team cannot lose its composure. For the vast majority of this roster, this game is the pinnacle of their professional achievements. For the Chiefs, it's mostly been there, done that. And in that way... When those moments of adversity creep in, this team cannot lose its composure. Even if it's just field goals, you need to find a way to manufacture points. Even if it's holding them to field goals, you have to stop the bleeding. If you can do that, this Chiefs team that was 28th in the NFL in opponents' points allowed in the regular season... And enters this week, twenty second, the twenty second ranked defense by DVOA compared to the Bills at number four. As long as this team doesn't trail by more than fourteen, you can't count them out. As long as they maintain their composure, and then, and I can't ever believe, Chris, I never thought we would get here. Let's go back to Jamaica. Me drunk on a balcony screaming about how I'm naked and it doesn't matter because Josh Allen's my quarterback. I don't need pants anymore. Who cares? Our lives are over. Who knew that that raging asshole would be here on this podcast talking about how the biggest, the biggest key to victory is Josh Allen. I'll drink to that. Yeah, we can't have a Houston game again. This is it. This is the moment. Josh Allen has been arguably the biggest story of the 2020 NFL season besides COVID. He set the world on fire statistically. 
spawned his own apology forms that talking heads everywhere have been forced to sign. PFF signed one. And those guys suck. Yeah, they, those guys are awful. They literally were blocked on Twitter by Sam Monson. Not even because of anything I did. You're welcome. This is something Chris did. You're welcome. Which I can means, bring the fire. Which means you know it wasn't that pointed. It was actually pretty bland, pretty generic, and that guy's just soft. Yeah, he is. Just like all of PFF. But in any event, he's broken a stack of franchise records that I... Franchise and NFL records this year... I, I like to say this, bigger than Chris's self-confidence. I mean, look at you. You're walking around with that hairstyle. Che- you have Chelsea boots on as I speak. Yeah, I got my brown brown ones on right now. Look at that. Yeah, the ones that match my wife's boots. I have a photo of them. Guys, at Rockpile Report on Twitter, I'm going to tweet it out. Chris you'll, is wearing a boot right now. That you'll you'll forget a, to tweet it. Is an exact match of one I found in my wife's closet. Yeah. Damn, we got to have multiple colors. I got brown, black, gray. I'll get you some. But no, I'll throw them in the river. Between your Chelsea boots, your pompadour about, haircut, and about, sometimes the fact that, guys, sometimes the fact that he rocks a plain white t shirt and this leather jacket that almost makes him look with the haircut like Fonzie, but the type of Fonzie that you'd never be scared of fighting. How about if the Bills. <laughs> If the if the Bills win the Super Bowl, you should have to go buy a pair of Chelsea boots. If the Bills win a Super Bowl, I'll go wear I'll wear Chelsea boots. I'll go I will go somewhere in public and let myself be seen wearing Chelsea boots. If the Bills win the Super Bowl. No, Bills here, here it is. Here it is. Bills win the Super Bowl. Uh triple date. You and your wife, me and my lady, Reed and his wife. We go out to dinner, you have to go buy Chelsea boots for the occasion. Done. I'll shake on it. There we go. (laughs) And and yeah, that's all fantastic stuff for Josh Allen. Just for us as fans here in 2020, but for the future of this football team, I mean, it it all just, it's great. But this moment, this game, this is the kind of game that separates also Rans and legends. Quarterbacks the world knows the name of from guys who decades after they're gone, the only people who talk about them fondly, you find them, they're just jaded old men sitting in corner bars. Right? Yeah. Who remembers Joe Ferguson? Old men. Yeah, my dad would know him. Yeah, of course he would. Your dad. What did Joe Ferguson ever do? Not your actual dad. What did Joe Ferguson do for this team? Uh, do you know why Joe Ferguson doesn't get talked about as much as Jim Kelly does? Because he didn't make the playoffs or win many playoff games. No, because he never went to go play for a ring. He never even got. He never even threw his hat in the circle. That's why we are an equally talented team from top to bottom. I think anyway. I think a lot of people out there could make the argument that we stack up well when you talk about defensive deficiencies to what we do well on the defensive side of the ball and what we have going for us on offense. Hell, you could tell me we have a better defense and I'd be willing to hear it. Better, point blank and period. But this game is going to come down to the one guy who hasn't had a signature game this postseason. He's going to have to have one. Going up against a team that if there was ever a time to have a day, it's now. We're going to need to see a composed Josh Allen who throws over the middle with accuracy and confidence and picks on those linebackers of the Chiefs who themselves are averaging, I, th- I think it was what, each of them is giving up like a 90 passer rating when targeted. They're not great. 
a quarterback who isn't afraid to use his legs to punish our opponents when their zone defense allows for it. I mean, they gave up not one, not two, but three first downs to little Baker Mayfield. Those short little legs. He's sure. I mean, I, I'm picturing the hobbits running like when they all start running towards the black gate in the Lord of the Rings. Yeah, that's what I'm fi- that's what I'm imagining it looked like watching Baker Mayfield run for first downs. They gave that up to him. What can Josh Allen do? <sighs> we need to see a quarterback who navigates pressure packages from a defensive line that features not one, but two of the NFL's premier pass rushing talents in Frank Clark and Chris Jones. Think about Chris, this is Indy on steroids. And makes them pay anytime they send extra rushers, the way he's done all season long. The guy who can play mistake, not just mistake-free football, but be the engine that drives us. And will this team, to its biggest achievement in a quarter century, and in the process, make legends of this team that's fought so hard this season to return us as a fan base and this team to relevance? I don't I think that that's what it's going to take. And it's going to have to be Josh Allen. <sighs> when you get down to the end of it, it's it's a philosophical battle of expectations. Going into last weekend's divisional matchup with the Ravens, I remember it was about an hour before kickoff. And I'm taking a piss and I'm thinking to myself just cuz you, you the mirror there in that downstairs bathroom. Yeah, seen yeah. it. I remember taking a leak, and I'm thinking to myself, if this season ends tonight, I'll be disappointed. Fuck, if this year hasn't been fulfilling. And that's the truth. This year has been the most fun I've had watching this football team and celebrating this team in years. And that's with us not even even not even being able to attend it at the stadium. I think it might be worse if we were able to attend. Oh, God, it would be anarchy. But what a story. I think I think at some point during, if we had been able to go to games, I think at some point during the season, maybe like by the beginning of October, you would have just said, all right, I'm taking off every Monday from here until the Super Bowl off. Probably. No, that, that, that you're probably right. I mean, wouldn't you agree that 2020 for the Buffalo Bills has been one of the most meaningful of our lives? It has, and for the show. I mean, what have you gotten from this this season? It's. <laughs> I think it. I think it resonates with a lot of Bills fans that are able to kind of connect with their parents on this. I mean, that's like what I get out of it. You know, as the season's going on, I've got my mom and dad who haven't watched the Bills on the reg. Until, you know, like since we were Super Bowl champions. And now I got my mom, like my mom, like would call me every Wednesday and be like, are we getting the game in Atlanta? They, like, <laughs> they don't have cable. They just, you know, they got an antenna. And if, uh, you know, I look at the coverage map and I let them know, oh, no, you're not getting the game. We're like, oh, we're on national TV tonight. They're like, great. I'll put it in the calendar so we can watch. It's like my parents are now invested in this and it's great. And, you know, you have the text message with your dad. That you put on Twitter that's gotten a lot, that got a lot of play. I mean, I know I, I'm not. I mean, no, I'm not alone, and I know our <sighs> listeners, at least that are our age in their 30s, are 
have gotten that this season out of this team going 13 and three, just a, a reconnection with your parents and what they went through with the late eighties and early nineties teams. I'm sitting here. I'm trying not to upset you, Chris. I'm trying not to get misty eyed over here. I just, I mean, uncomfortable. I know. Watching, no, this, watching you get emotional <clears throat> is like the most uncomfortable thing ever. Well, I could shower without a shower curtain in front of you and that would, we could change that. No. I've got no shame. No. <laughs> no, it's just wildly uncomfortable. You'd be I don't shocked. Want... You'd be like, he took his shirt off. Why is he still yeah. wearing a sweater? I don't yeah. understand. Exactly. No, I this year, I, I got to recapture the glory days with my father. That's probably number one with a bullet. I just having this thing. We've talked about this. What this has meant to me since the beginning. What drives my mania about the Buffalo Bills. Where this all came from. This was the year that brought it all full circle. And then he and I were finally able to get back together and celebrate this stuff together and it it's meant a lot to me over the course of the last calendar year. I got to watch my son laugh and giggle every time that we sang along to the, the shout song. After we'd win the game and he would laugh and I'd fist pump with him and I'd carry him around. And that that right there is one of those things that (laughs) we watched our team go from one that was considered just everybody's lovable loser. You know, everyone liked the Buffalo Bills. Why? Because no one was scared of us. To a team that now everyone's saying every time they see us on our schedule going, ah, shit, we got to play that team. Instead of looking forward to it, they dread having to play the Buffalo Bills. Do you remember in the preseason when we discussed the Bills had only once since 2010 fielded an offense in the bottom 10 for passing or top 10 for passing? Not even that wasn't in the bottom 10 for passing. Jesus, I'm looking at my own chicken scratch notes. I think, what is it, 2011, we finished like 15th in passing. Kyle Orton. Kyle Orton, we finished 15th. Outside of that, we finished 20th or worse in passing. Doesn't that feel like a distant memory? This season has washed so much of that away because we watched this team become fun again on offense. Being this rising star quarterback, he just plastered the NFL with touchdowns and the star wide receivers around him. This has been one of the most meaningful seasons of my life. And the reason I say all this is because I'm trying to figure out who the pressure is on more to win this one. You have to consider what this season is supposed to represent for each team. I mean, there's so many in the media said that with the fall of New England, it was the AFC title game or bust for the Buffalo Bills. Now, reasonable Bills fans would have told you that a home playoff win was probably a good start. If that is where our road had ended, would you have been okay with that? Oh, yeah, I would have been fine with it. Especially the way it went and the the celebrations we got to have and the things that we got to enjoy. Most fans would have told you in August that if that was the high watermark, they'd have happily accepted it. That with combined that combined with a respectable showing in the divisional round would have felt like significant progress. Something that we could all just get together and say, hey, our team is growing. And instead... We've been gifted something else, a shot at glory, a shot at real glory here. Meanwhile, for our opponents in Missouri, 
They're fresh off a Super Bowl win. And after shelling out to maintain possession of their quarterback and their high-end pass rushers and restructuring Sammy Watkins, they're deep in talent. They have the Super Bowl winning quarterback. Their expectations were set before the season even started. Anything less than an appearance in the Super Bowl would be viewed as a disappointment. Add to that the pressure of expectation. That you have a window for titles. And guess what? Chris, by signing that contract to Ch- for Patrick Mahomes, the Chiefs essentially staked theirs. Half a billion dollar contract? They said, look, we know that in the next few years, yes, we think Mahomes is so good, we want him here forever. But also... He's going to get paid so much money over the next few years that this window is going to become untenable as all these other contracts mature. I mean, that's it's hard to maintain. The ex- that, that weight of that pressure that they have to win now. And then considering they're feeling a te- fielding a team with the lowest total DVOA ranking of any team remaining in the playoffs whose defense actually ranked in the bottom of the NFL in scoring, passing touchdowns, and rushing yards surrendered. Chris, they're a highly talented team. Don't get me wrong. They've got elite talent in a lot of places. And they're ultimately facing some adversity from a lot of different directions right now. And that pressure is on them regardless. Regardless of what they're going through, right? The Patrick Mahomes injury, the Brashad Breeland injury, the Clyde Edwards-Hilaire injury. Their expectations have never changed. People expected them to make the Super Bowl. They're the ones who are supposed to be the better team. One of these two squads is going to rep our conference in the Super Bowl. It's not a dream, it's a reality. Both of them have creative play calling, electric playmakers, young star quarterbacks, head coaches who have vaulted themselves to be some of the most respected in the world at their craft. And so to that, I just have to ask, why not us? Why not us? Why not Sean McDermott, Josh Allen, and the 2020 Buffalo Bills? The, um, you know, we might not be the better team in this matchup. We just got to be better for 60 minutes. 60 minutes. You have to want it more. You got to fight harder. You got to make the best of your opportunities. And when they come, you got to capitalize. And if we don't end up winning this game, I kind of can picture McDermott and Dable walking off the field the same way Levy and Marcia Broda walked off the field. And we should try the two-minute offense earlier in the game. <laughs> Dable's going to have an idea for next season when we play the Chiefs. I can't wait for this fucking game, dude. I can't. I, Chris, I never thought we would be here. Never. In the history. When we started this podcast, it was a coping mechanism. And now look at us. We're on the doorstep of glory. Yeah, we can't bow out now. I don't want to speculate, so we're not making any predictions this week. We're not making Seagram's bets. I just want to soak all of this positivity in, all of this feeling in. Whatever this week is, I want to I want to absorb as much of it as I can because it feels like a dream. And for at least one more week, I'm not waking up. Where else would you guys be rather be than right here, right now? Think about that. Think about what this team means to you, your families, your enjoyment to the game. Hug your kids. 
Say hi to your neighbors. Yell, let's go bills to a stranger. I don't care where the hell you are in the country. Do it. Embrace it. Live for this moment because I don't know the next time we'll get this. And let's go Buffalo. Chris? Folks, we will see you on the other... <laughs> we'll see you next week on the other side of this thing. We gotta get the hell out of here for tonight. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. And this has been the Rock Pal Report. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.